This interview is with Dr. Pete Barnsley, our first industry specialist who has held high up roles at BT OpenReach and is currently a director at AITE Consulting Limited. We talk about physicists in industry, why physics is so useful, and why Lou Reed and pottery makes him tick. Enjoy listening! You're listening to Insight, the University of St Andrews Student Physics Society's podcast. I'm your host, Samuel Avery. Join us as we journey into the lives of St Andrews academics, discovering their passions, inspirations, and motivations. So today on Insight, we are very happy to welcome one of our first industry specialists, Dr. Pete Barnsley. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. So um, first question, what is your job and what does it entail? (laughs) Yes, good question. So I, for my blessings, work for a company called OpenReach. And OpenReach is the company that connects you to your network. So we connect all the homes and the schools and the traffic lights and the banks and the businesses, large and small, the mobile masks, etc., to the world. And uh, that's the fiber that connects your superfast to ultrafast or the copper pipes that do your conversations and maybe also your internet. Um, so, you know, that's the sort of thing. So that's the company I work for. And the job I do is I work in what's called the CTIO. So that's a Chief Technology and Information Office function. And my job is uh, leading all the data and analytics parts. So bringing large amounts of data from our systems together, joining it up and then being able to exploit it using data analysis tools or SQL, all those sorts of things. So terabytes of data and um, questions like why does this happen or what happened then or can you give me these examples or what's the rate at something happening those sorts of questions and we use the data to uh, answer those questions and help the company make good decisions okay so lots of data processing lots of kind of bringing people together and connecting them together yeah lots of people so our data analytical community is quite broad and large there's lots of people that do it on the platform that I look after, there's maybe five, six, seven hundred people who are users, and they have access to a whole spectrum of different types of data. And uh, I have a matrix team of many people, many tens and tens of people who I sort of help and um, support, and they help and support me. Awesome. And what path led you to your current job then? <laughs> well, there's a that's a long, twisted tale. So I, I left. Um, the beautiful St. Andrews um, with a fabulous degree in optoelectronics and laser devices along with physics. Um, And I was, and still am, a sort of, um, what's the right word, pacifist hippie. And as a result, I thought, well, hmm, what can I do that isn't involving killing someone or hurting someone or doing something like that? And and in those days, and we're talking 31 and a bit years ago, so I'm an old git. um, uh, Basically, the, the one of the strap lines of BT, as it was then, was British Telecom or whatever they were, we were called then, was it's good to talk. And so I was like, oh, ah, yeah, now that, that, that could help. That could help the world. So hence I, I joined. And luckily optics was something that the company was really sort of doing a lot with. So my training, my actual physics training was really, really a 
applicable you know it really helped it went straight into um, what I was doing in my lab so I had a lab I had loads of kit I had bits of fiber I was tweaking and, and building um, stuff I was using all of my physics and optics training so it was really good and then um, the company um, took me on and said all right we'll have a great big project to look after and then it and in optics and research and so I was writing papers and publishing and having a great time really really good time but all of that time was spent um, like progressing our knowledge patents papers and all that sort of stuff but also learning about working with people and analyzing data creating graphs all of those things you I guess as a as a science lab student you do all the time but doing it in spades and much more and, but then that was the days when computing was quite immature we didn't really have very powerful computers and we didn't really store a lot of data but after a while I um, went into the world of um, project management so looking after the finances of this project one million pounds I think in 1989 was what I was accountable for which was a flipping lot of money in those days and it was like oh heck and I had all these senior managers who were sort of I was trying to tell to stop spending money and it was like you know heck what do I do anyway eventually I realized that actually we've probably done as much optical research as we could need for the next 10 years and I thought well hmm, what's the, what's my next challenge so I started getting involved in standardization so the company sent me to the standards bodies in Geneva and I had to sort of present uh, these BT inputs to these global bodies and that was quite a scary experience and meet all these different cultures from Japan from America from etc etc so that was that was that was fun I learned a lot there so but I was still using physics yeah I was still explaining why a standard needed to be such a standard because of physical traits of the fiber or the erbium or the laser power or that sort of stuff so it was all very applicable and I also was sent to Europe a lot to work with my colleagues in Deutsche Telekom, France Telekom, Telenor, all these companies around Europe and that got me into different cultures and anyway after this while they said well you know what um, what else could you do so I got into strategic studies because physics is like a, a very great skill because it offers that transferable element of being able to take a really difficult problem you know like quantum mechanics you know heck how do you visualize that you know and and you say well okay what do I do what do I do uh, what uh, and they give you problems like can you just build a model for a telecoms company everything in about it and that to a non-physics student might be a real oh my goodness me I can't do that but to a physics student I found anyway maybe me maybe I'm a strange character but physics allowed me the skills to do that yes yeah? so it allowed me to say well I can just take this apart decompose it work out the things that are independent uh, separate them out weak strong dependencies what's mm -hmm. my boundary conditions you know all those sorts of things it's just come came more naturally so you really started at kind of hands-on research level yeah um, when you were out of uni and then you've kind of accrued more and more leadership roles and management roles over time and so you've said that physics has um, really been relevant for all of that then? Yeah, and and today, right now, you know, I, I, I fell into um, data because one of my jobs, because I went into consulting and I went into understanding businesses and all those things. So I met up with someone and I, my mum and dad moved house and they got a really, really rubbish service. And I said, that's the problem. I've 
got to help solve service, right? Customer service. And I, I thought, yeah, that's really interesting. So I got into that world. So I joined the call centers, right? I went from research effectively into the front office call center organization. I didn't leap there straight away. One of the jobs I did was I said, well, the company had a problem, which was why are customers complaining? So some lunatic asked me, another lunatic, to say, can you predict which customers are going to complain? before they do, so we can do something about them. So that's when I really said, oh yeah, of course I can, because I'm a sort of like, yeah, of course you can type of bloke. Of course you can do that. The question is, how? So we just gathered a load of data together and started work, and all the statistics came out and all that sort of stuff. So again, physics was, but the data and manipulation of data to in experimental labs was the sort of skill that came forward and that got me into databases and data manipulation in databases and then it was like pulling data in from so hence I ended up in a data and analytics role but I use it I reckon I use it all the time every single day because it's all about taking a problem apart and putting it back together again and physics is asking why 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 does that happen yeah and it's all about decomposing and it's all about putting things back together again and then predicting things. Well, if if that is my theory, then this should happen. Does it? Yeah. And so that hence I'm using it all the time by building models of the company and parts of the company and data suggesting what might happen and seeing whether it does. So I think we've it's a very transferable, um, powerful Fantastic, tool. yeah. So it's something that you've really stayed in touch with and physics has been present throughout all of these roles that you've had. Did you have like a, a science or a physics idol as you were growing up or whilst you were studying? Yeah, my. Well, I think a lot of people must say to you that there was someone in my formative youth, so my physics teacher at A-level, that really captured my thought and imagination and said, ah, and maybe a bit of encouragement, you know, said, you you know, you can do this, you know, this is not something uh, and the like. So I like that bit. And I think um, the one person that I really like um, at a university was a guy called um, Professor Dunn, Malcolm Dunn. He really at university took my brain and sort of turned it inside out, round it about and made it grow. So he was and also a, a Professor Hilditch, uh, who was in the astronomy department, did the same thing, was like, oh, my goodness me, here's someone who can communicate complicated things in a manner that is really engaging and I learn so that's a real skill so at those people and of course you've got your Feynman's and your you know who like go oh my gosh you know the Dirac's of the world you think oh flip <laughs> so there's some people who personally impacted you and then there's other people who have been in these annals of history who are also equally inspirational inspired. role models yes indeed mm -hmm. that's exactly it so what would you say is your favorite thing in or about your job now then people without a doubt people the people that i work with and uh the fact that i'm an old git who has sort of like trodden a few boards and therefore i can make, ask questions of younger people who are just starting to tread those boards and say well what about this have you thought about that so i i, I joined the company with a purpose i think i mentioned just a, a while ago that i was a pacifist hippie um so you know what what was my purpose well to try and make a better world through people talking which is why i joined the company but my new purpose in life is maybe a bit more educational so it's working with people what is there that i might have learned that might be helpful to someone else and that's what mm -hmm. in my day why i really like is passing on little bits of sort of nuggets of something that might help to someone else 
Fantastic. And you've obviously mentioned that physics has impacted you a lot in the way that you work. But how do you think that physics or physics-related degrees are relevant in industry settings, even when that industry isn't necessarily in a physics field? It's not, you know, optoelectronics or it's not connecting people with signals. Exactly. It is. But it's such a transferable thing. It's That's why it's so useful. As a, All science degrees are so useful because there's loads of folk out there who've got some really complicated problems to deal with in their business or whatever. Yeah, they, they don't know how necessarily the world is so complicated to their eyes. It's like, flip, uh, bu, 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 what do I do? So you, you end up with people having problems that they don't know how to solve. Now, physics as a background training, I believe, gives you that um, how to go about solving problems. It gives you a sort of, I can take a complicated thing and make sense of it. It gives you that, well, why is this? Where is this? When is this? All of those Rudyard Kipling questions that he, in that that poem, the classic 1921 poem of his or whatever year it was, you know, that's that's what I think physics gives people. And that's why industry likes physicists. There's so many people who have got very senior roles not necessarily because they are physicists, but physics is something that helps them have think through their difficult roles. Like the um, head of research uh, at um, BT and Innovation, he's a physics lead um, by background. He's studied physics and things. There's so many people who I know who, who look at physics and say, oh, that's a really good degree to have because it's very maybe difficult degree so it shows people have got an ability to cope with complicated complex ambiguous problems and deal with it and not um not worry too much they can handle depth and they can handle lots so i think physics and science generally you know they are attractive things because um I think people who have them, you, you you might think of them as geeky or or you know otherwise characterized by those things. I think that may be sort of true, um, but there's also a degree of self confidence and uh, and um, self motivation that comes from that. And people need people in their business that don't need to be told what to do, who can go out and explore a bit and and push the boundaries, think where other people don't think and go where other people are maybe a bit scared to go. And So there's a lot of things that come together in that, in the training that you receive as a physicist or a scientist, and that makes you useful. That's right, uh-huh. because you're used to researching questions you don't fully understand. And how much do you think that having a PhD in a scientific field gives an advantage over other applicants if you're applying for a job or promotion opportunities? I guess um, if it's a PhD in a particular discipline and that's the job, you are that's your entry criteria. If you haven't got that depth of knowledge, you can't get the job because you just don't know enough. But put that bit aside. I think one, a PhD will give you three years of sorting your own world out now that's a maturity thing but that's also an experience thing you know you'll have to work with people who are making things for you you'll have to work with people who are collaborating with you you'll have to deal with maybe people in other parts of the world that you're collaborating with you'll have you therefore you'll be a much more rounded individual so one you bring a bit more maturity maybe than an undergraduate not 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 so necess- not necessarily, but you know, that offers you the opportunity. But it's also you'll already have experience of looking after yourself in your work, managing your own work, 
creating and writing you know one of the things you'll probably have done is having to create create a paper to present at a conference or present to a journal or whatever now that requires you to write maybe in a certain specific way but it requires you to write and communicate tell stories pitch speak in public all of those are confidence building things and they help you i think when you're in a job application process one the phd re-emphasizes your bright intellectual clever and therefore well educated and you can do stuff you can learn therefore you can be taught yourself new things but the other thing it does is it shows you that um, you can uh, when you're in the assessment centers or when you're being uh, compared to others you have those strengths of character um, more confidence etc that comes through in those situation so i think that's again helpful but it's not a necessity obviously mm -hmm. um, you can get those from doing other things uh, other types of activity in your personal life uh, debate societies etc etc so these all help but yeah no i think phds um uh, maybe one of the things i took from mine right was i got i learned a fabulous lot i got lots and lots from it but right at the end the viva was just making sure I realized that all I had actually done was putting another little grain of sand on the beach of knowledge. And it, I wasn't, though, you know, an and it was just a degree of humility. So, you know, yes, you do it, but maybe you do it for yourself rather mm -hmm. than anything else. And therefore, it's something that is a test. Can you do it? Can you cope with trying to learn and create a new piece of knowledge that you can put on the beach for others to use. So there's quite a lot that goes into that. And I think that's a lovely way of putting it as well, that grain of sand on the beach. Did you yourself ever consider going into academia? Yeah, I, I, I as I said, now more than ever before, I think. Uh, I, I feel, I did wonder whether I would have the, um, when I looked at my idols in the department who I look out and say, well, look, and heck these people at St Andrews could I ever do that and the answer generally was no did I think about doing some sort of postdoc or research in university I sort of did but I did I found um, my calling in the lab when I was doing my undergraduate project and that prompted me uh, to pick up optics and as soon as I picked up optics I realized that that was my home and then when I did my um, master's project when I organized that down with BT as it happens I chose that because of other things but I realized heck I now know what I want to do and because I'd done it when I where I did it I was surrounded by labs and I realized I could get a job doing it too so I that's what triggered me it wasn't that I um I had the opportunity to get a job and do research and that gave me a bit of both because I realized how mm. useful working for a company could be. I'd, I'd pick up different things. So it, it definitely, yeah, it wasn't the case that you were shunning academia. It was more that you found this, this dream environment for you. I was lucky. Fantastic. And what do you miss about being a student? <laughs> well, um, uh, I, 
if you could if the if your your listeners could see me they would probably think well he's 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 maybe not the archetypal look of a student but i am still a student i've just finished an open university ma in classical research um uh, not completely the ma but at least the first year so i'm i'm a born learner so i miss um, the, the 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 stimulation of your brain, the new ideas, the the freedom to go and do things. So I, you know, I was maybe an idiot, but I in my um, uh, master's year I took a second arts art history course, and I managed to squeeze it in amongst all the other things because it had that opportunity to go and find something out about something completely different so that the opportunities are bound and the fact that you've got so many brilliant brains all developing and chatting and doing things and i did enjoy a bit of a party so you know i'm a bit of a social animal but um no i think it was really vibrant and um yeah i miss it a lot but at the same time you make that vibrancy elsewhere so yeah i love st andrews st andrews is just such a beautiful place it's architecture it's its character it's um not for everyone obviously it's a little place on the north sea but that's where i live now so maybe it's the uh, <laughs> it's uh, a trait and of course i met my wife there so that was an amazing uh, lucky day for me fantastic that sounds a really good time and congratulations on you know finishing your first year of that course so what's something that you think is different for students now than since you were a student as well Oh gosh, I mean, I'm I'm too old to comment. I would say, but I think the the one thing looks to be that uh, with my kids, I look at them through university, and the social media and the whole social networking was very different. You know, you you that must be quite hard to cope with because you've got a lot of stuff to do in your academic world, yet there's this thing bleeping at you on the side all the time. You know, in my day. If you wanted to meet someone, you either arranged it or you dropped around their house. People didn't have phones. People couldn't communicate. There was no internet, etc. That must be quite difficult to deal with, I think, from a from a social point of view and getting your work done. And I guess, but I don't suppose it's much different at the end of your degree, you know, or when you're nearing the end of the degree, where you're thinking, well, where do I go now? You've you're in this world of um, study and and uh, the department and your subject and hopefully your social life too but you're thinking well in a few years few months few days the world stops that world stops something else has to start what the heck do i do and the world of um finding a job is so much more maybe easy and maybe more difficult you know there's so many more people go to university now therefore everyone's got a degree but not literally but um there's so many more people i mean the great thing about st andrews is st andrews is a very well regarded university with a physics department that's exceedingly well regarded so you get out with a very good qualification and so many other departments also so that helps but then there's this sort of what you know this competition there's this whole uh, industry of recruitment now it's a it's it's still the same sort of thing you have interviews you have assessments you have to prove you can do things but it's much more online they can test you much more the world is all online but that's an advantage too so you can join um linkedin or indeed all these places put your cvs and and lots of people pick up and there's a whole industry out there of 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 people matchmaking candidates to jobs graduate recruitment as well as others so you know in some senses that's bits easier my 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 
brief to anyone is don't worry you know how many people out there can you find that don't have degrees sorry don't have jobs who have physics degrees you know good physics degrees i don't think they're that many so the job will find you i think these things are out there for you if you look and they will come so what's most important getting a job or getting a good degree to get a job and make your choices on that you know that's what so i i don't know if i've answered your question because it's a really hard question but yeah mm-hmm. i find it really interesting that both of the points you've made there are about connectivity and they're coming from you working with open reach and bt in a world that you know, through the company's efforts, the world is more connected. So I think that's an interesting insight from you. Would you have described your... Maybe a bias. That's maybe, maybe. all I think about. Uh-huh. I'm not seeing all the other parts, but no, thanks for the thought. Mm-hmm. That's a good, good observation. No, there's um, two sides to every coin, as you say. Um, would you have described yourself as a good student? Did you deal with deadlines well? Uh, I was a very... I didn't like to be told off either as a child or, or still. So I would always try and meet my deadlines and I would always um, have things done. I, I wouldn't not, because uh, I was so, I, I didn't want to disappoint anyone. However, was I a good student? That's another matter. Um, you know, my social life is, is um, uh, was and still is um, very elaborate. So, you know, I, I think um, I enjoyed myself an awful lot. So I was a good student in the sense that I always attended my lectures. You know, I was always there at nine o'clock. I always did my labs. I loved my labs more than anything else. But um, was I always uh, a very a studious student maybe not maybe i spent as much time learning about life as i did about physics and topics of that nature well that sounds pretty good in terms of being a student do you have any good luck practices good luck practices mm-hmm. um i have some mechanisms or or things that i treat as gospel so one of mine is assumption is the enemy okay so i find too many people embed assumptions into what they think and say and we all do that it's part of human you gotta but sometimes it'll turn around and bite you on the bum um, and so assumption is the enemy is an always a thing to check am i making an assumption why could that be wrong etc so that's one thing i don't know if that's what you mean the other one is progress not perfection you know you'll never get everything perfect but to make a big step forward is enough and you can build from there so another sort of practice in life Mm-hmm. So maybe not good luck practices, like you don't carry around a rabbit's foot, but mantras that you live by. <laughs> no, I have very few superstitions. I, I'm, mm. I believe in uh, the multiverse and I believe in uh, the fact that everything before me is prededicated. I look back on my life and think about the decisions or the bifurcations in my life path and think, well, I didn't make those consciously, but they were clearly the right ones because I wouldn't like to be anywhere else but here. So there was something that was guiding me to this point. So I'm not a religious person in any way, maybe a bit spiritualist, but um, maybe those are good luck things. I believe the world is out there waiting for you and I'm a forward looking person, three quarter full glass, all that sort of stuff. I love the optimism. And obviously, if you're happy with the way you've lived, then that's fantastic. And you said you are. So what's a way that you celebrate life when things are going well? Or is there something that you do when they're not going so well? Um, Parties. Um, uh, when things are going well and maybe not so well, a bit of a whatever. So I like parties a lot. So I'm very lucky to be able to have parties. So that's, that's a good thing. And the other thing, when things not go well, I normally revert to music. 
So music is one of my uh, big passions. I used to be the SVP in the union for entertainment. So I was always there putting bands on or gigs or films or whatever. So music has always been a big part. So I'd probably play sort of some of my most favoured music and tell myself not to be such a git. And what is your most favoured music then? Well, probably, I mean, I, I'm a punk by background and a hippie. I think I've said that before. I love rock music. I love country music reggae is just a dream i don't mind classical so i've got eclectic but i suppose rock would be the general are there any songs you can single out uh i would if i was wanting to take a desert island disc and it was my last one and things i would probably that sort of question i would probably go for lou reed and it would be coney island baby off that album um there's something about lou reed that hits i'm a velvet underground freak and um some of his songs are just unbelievably good berlin uh the album and um probably how do you think it feels or the bed would be other ones and people might if they know those song albums and songs would say my goodness me that's an odd choice because they're quite dark maybe but you know they they tell me not to be so stupid um and self-centered um and things like that when i'm feeling in one of those moods however when i'm in a party it'll be like the rolling stones lots of people uh comment and suggest that i'm quite like mick jagger in looks so they have nicknames for me so i'm always uh, but i'm a great uh, rolling stones or any of that the doors that sort of stuff as well as some modern remember that the city is a funny place something like a circus or a zoo Just remember different people have peculiar tastes. A lot going on. A lot going on in the music spheres. Fantastic. And do you think that the hobbies that you do contribute to other parts of your life? Through skills acquired or through connections that you make? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, One of my... Uh, it was when I joined the company, BT, as it was then. Um, I'm not OpenReach, but OpenReach is owned by BT. But... Um, I went to evening classes and I wanted to make pots, just be a ceramicist. And I started making pots. And there was a time when I was seriously contemplating leaving to become a potter. So making pots, why do I bring that up? Because making pots, and I always used, you know, it's a very tactile um, process of making something. And why? Because I'm a designer maker. Okay, when you're making a pot, you have you get a lump of clay and you have to fashion it into the object that you have in your mind. And the tools at your disposal are your fingers and your arms, your body and your leg. I used a kick wheel, so I didn't use an electric wheel. So the whole process was a, a me designing and making with what my body could make, give me, the texture of my hands the te you know, and the thought and the eye on a revolving wheel that my body was kicking around. Now, why do I bring that up? Because I think designer makers are what makes the world. Separating design from making is bad. So although it's a hobby, I I realized designing and making was something that I liked doing. So I also make furniture and I like jamming 
on my flute or on a piano or on a guitar and that's again you're designing music and making it at the same time or you're um yeah you see so i think designer making hobbies maybe that's the character you are though and you choose these things because that's who you are rather than the other way around but i think hobbies can and they give you a topic to talk about and interact with other people and find out about other people and what drives them and therefore you feel like you know you know them a bit better and they're more a person rather than just someone who does a job mm-hmm. that's lovely it's nice to hear how that feeds in and then that again connectivity um are there any hobbies that you miss that you had more opportunities to do in scotland than in england where you are now for your job well there, there you go when i was in scotland how far away from st andrews did i ever get yes i went skiing because that's one of the reasons i went to scotland the other reason was to get away from my parents as far as possible so they couldn't come and visit but I, I didn't go and visit Scotland when I was there, partly because, hey, you know, maybe as a student, you haven't got that opportunity. But walking, you know, I love walking now, uh, going out, seeing the countryside. Did I do much then? No. Lots of things I would like to have done because such St Andrews and East Nuke is such a beautiful place. Um, you know, gosh, I could have taken much more. So I'd love to have done more of that, but I filled it with other things that I enjoyed at the time. So that was all good. No regrets. Excellent. And what's the worst TV show or movie or performance that you've endured for a friend's sake? If someone's dragged you along to see a movie or they've dragged you along to their kids play. Oh, no, no. All of those are wonderful. I love all those things, uh, kids plays and things, because that's real humans doing real things. And, you know, you can only you can only applaud that and um, empathize and, and wrap yourself in that. But um, TV stuff, I abhor things like The Apprentice. I can't stand it. it gets, <laughs> it's like a, it's people being horrid to each other for for no good reason in my book, anyway. So I don't like that. But other people do. So I have um, I have obviously taken part, sat in a room while that's been on, and you know, I. I I can live with most things, I think. You know, nothing's too bad. So, you know, but that's maybe at the edge of of, of uh, not something I choose to do, those sorts of things. Okay. So now we're going to move on to some quickfire questions so you can be rapid fire about um, answering these ones, but feel free to expand if you want. So what's your favourite book? Uh, probably Harry Potter or possibly his Dark Materials trilogy by Pullman. Good choices. What's your favourite piece of fruit? Oh, I would have to say it was going to be a banana. I would agree. Bananas are great. Very underrated. Would you rather read a play or a poem? A poem. But you would rather see a play in person, it sounds like? Oh, yes. Always. I like those, yeah. Uh, Do you like to holiday in the heat or in the cold? Uh, Both. Um, If pushed, the cold. Um, But, um, yeah, both are brilliant. Would you go to the city or the country? Country. And what's your go-to comfort meal? Probably macaroni cheese. Another good choice. What's your ideal way to spend a free afternoon? With a pint. Excellent. So to finish the interview, uh, one final question. So feel free to talk about this for a bit if you want. So what's one thing that you think that experts in industry and people in academia could learn from one another? I think experts in industry, inverted commas, um, the companies can be very impatient. And from impatience comes progress, possibly, but you miss stuff. And I think academia is 
something that helps with patients. So in business, I think too many assumptions are made. So people get rapidly forward. And I think it's very good to think and explore things. And academia is somewhere that allows that and encourages that and has the ability to make that happen. But for academia, I think um, not everywhere is this true, but I think progress, not perfection, is something that is a good maxim to bring. So what can I do to exploit what I've already done rather than making sure I've understood everything? So I, I think we do that. When I say we, I'm speaking as a researcher. I think we are good at that, but I think academia struggles from making hay um, with things more. It's quite difficult to innovate and get things to move because maybe the structures are not there to, to do that, which industry naturally has because every hour is valuable and we need to get this to market, inverted commas, that old adage. Now, there's there's a real tension there that I'm not sure anyone has really solved. And people who have tend to be companies that have got a really good way of transferring ideas into what to do and very often that is where the people at the front of the business the people that do it all are the ones pulling the ideas forward or they're supported in getting those ideas um, to make happen so they can be the smallest of things or the biggest of things um, companies often have um, new idea schemes and things like that which are a bit like giving the people in the company the space to think of something different and then giving the vehicle the structure to make those things happen and I wonder whether the same is true in in academia how does academia convey from all of the fabulous brains that it's got all the ideas and then how does it help make those things happen easiest take away some of the the bureaucratic stuff that gets in the way and allows more independence or self um, driven things I don't know, but I I don't really know much about academia, only from visits mm. to universities and things like that. So I probably maybe mis, misread lots of things. But I often find in, in industry that people are too quick to act and they haven't thought things enough. And a bit more thought often um, helps. One of the adages I picked up in my youth was that the Ministry of Defence, I believe it was, ha used to have an adage, 90% of costs are frozen in at design. So if you don't do the good thinking to get your design right, your costs are probably going to be a lot more because you'll have to rework, change, oh, flip, didn't think about that, that sort of stuff. So I, I'm, I'm not sure that's the, the the only thing that experts in industry and people in academia could could learn from one another. I'm sure there's masses more, but those mm. are things that I feel might help. If I was an academic, what would I bring to the table? Because um, I wouldn't know lots about all of the deep science, but I might know some things about um, translating something into something. I'm more of an applied person anyway, maybe. So there's lots to learn from these two big stories. Oh, the, 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 the day we separate academia and industry is the day we fall apart. You know, the, the, you, we need the ideas to flow seamlessly from 
one to the other and we the day we take money away from doing blue sky research in academia to take to allow people to think to allow to explore the day is the day we we might as well shut up shop and go home or or emigrate because the nightmares come from that world that is where dragons live you don't go there so you know the more we don't have proper funding proper resources proper um support of good research and support researching and ideas creation is the day uh, the company loses sight of its future fantastic well thank you very much for joining us dr pete barnsley thank you so much sam and uh, all of those fabulous questions you've been listening to insight the university of st andrews student physics society's podcast i was your host samuel lavery thanks to all the wonderful academics of st andrews Join us in the future as we learn more of the people making our education. This podcast was produced by myself and our publicity officer, Connor McBride. To find out more about the Physics Society and what we do, please find us on Facebook or Google St. Andrew's Physics Society for our website. Goodbye! <laughs>